You're listening to This Life Explains It All. With the creators of Vera, your guide for navigating a conscious life. We're Stefania Romeo and Catherine Griffiths. This Life Explains It All was created out of belief that our life experience is our greatest teacher. And as soul sisters and intuitives, we've spent the past decade completely obsessed with better understanding our minds and our bodies, all while running a mile a minute with busy careers as leaders in the tech startup world. On this podcast, we are bringing you the insights and lessons that have changed our lives with the thought leaders, healers, and dreamers behind them. We're discussing wellness practices, healing methods, and experiences that get us to think differently about life and live empowered. Whether you want to uplevel your health, your career, your relationship, or are going through changes to your life path, this information can help you get there and let you know that we're right here with you. We believe life isn't meant to be lived linear, and no matter where you are right now, you're right on time. Hey guys, it's Kat and Stefania. You're listening to This Life Explains It All, Vera's podcast. And today we are talking to Amanda Blair, an attachment style relationship coach who works with clients on manifesting the relationships they want and deserve. If you're familiar with the 2B Magnetic Manifestation Program created by Lacey Phillips, you may have heard of Amanda as she's now one of the first to coach women and men through relationship manifestation as part of the program. We talk about the different attachment styles, Amanda's expertise, and how they impact our relationships in our adult life. And we discuss relationships of all kinds. So whether you're calling in a new relationship or taking a look at or wanting to improve your existing relationship, this conversation is for you. So we also talk about manifestation and we talk about manifestation in general a little bit at the beginning. And we were so excited to get Amanda on the podcast because Kat and I have been following the work of Lacey Phillips and her To Be Magnetic program for a long time. And so Amanda is now a part of that. And so it was really kind of full circle because I feel like in a lot of ways, learning about manifestation and like learning that manifestation is possible and is a thing is what led us to do what we are doing now. Yeah, absolutely. I think that when I was introduced to manifestation, I've done some hypnotherapy in the past and I started doing the Lacey Phillips program about a year ago. And I just have noticed an energy change in my relationships when I do it consistently. But I think like the one thing with manifestation that really set me free was thinking about, was just understanding that it's not about your thoughts. You can't manifest things through your thoughts, but you manifest things through your beliefs. So that's all related to your self-worth. Before I met Lee, I was in a time of my life where I was like starting to work out again for the first time. I was running. I had endorphins every day. And I had been like dating and having like weird like dates with guys that I met at bars for so long that like never really turned into anything or that I then like didn't like. And I kind of just got to a point where I was like, you know what? I'm done with that. Like, I really don't care. Like I have these amazing friends. I love my life. I live in like the exact place I would want. Like everything's good. I don't care about that. Like, and I, it was so funny because I was in my like mid, maybe mid twenties. And I was like, if I'm going to be alone forever, like that's fine. Like I have a good life and that's fine. And literally I believed that as soon as that happened, things started flowing in. (laughs) It was just Mm -hmm. like, it was like, I became so magnetic. Like I met my partner, like I met other people, other men were like coming into my world that like were unexpected because like, I just raised my self-worth and I even that has happened with jobs and things like that too. When you're just like flowing, you're feeling so good about yourself. Like you don't really care on someone about someone else's like how they're going to react or like you're not waiting for something for, from someone else. It just like happens. You know what I mean? It's the surrender aspect. Mm-hmm. Like you surrendered in that moment. You just said, you know what? I am not going to push past the current anymore. I'm just going to accept everything that I have. I'm happy with it. I believe that it'll all work out and I'm happy right now, even if it doesn't, if I don't have everything that I want or, you know, maybe that's not what you were saying, but you just surrendered to it. Yeah. And then it all came to you. Yeah. And I think that's a lesson. Definitely. I think that is like the lesson. I think that like, if you look at the energetics of it, it's really interesting because it's like, 
the opposite of the energy that you want to call in whatever you want in your life to create the life you want is desperation. Anything that feels like desperation is not going to get you what you want. And that's why when we have like this job that we want so bad and like we hope that like they call us back or that we feel like we need so much or like this partner that we feel desperation around for some reason, like that's never going to end well because if you're in desperation energy, you're not in your worth. And so we actually talk about this with Amanda in the context of not settling. Like I I say in this episode, like this big takeaway from this conversation and like all the things we talk about is like, do not settle because something better is coming for you. And so I think like settling and desperation, those kind of go together. And then the surrender is like the opposite of that. Yeah. And I think this is so important on the relationships topic because I feel like There's so many pressures in society today on women and having babies and doing all of that at a certain time and a certain age. And that can cause that, almost that friction between, you know, do I just surrender and just let it come to me? Or do I try and go against the current and put myself out there all the time? Or even worse, settle for something that's not what I want because it puts so much pressure on women in particular to do all of that stuff by a certain time. And it's just irrelevant. There is, like Amanda says in this episode, there is no time in the universe. You know, obviously we don't ever have to settle. And by not settling, the right thing will, and the best thing for you will come around the corner. Do you feel like that's happened to you? Yeah, I do. I feel like with my current partner, who is my husband now. <laughs> I, don't know why I'm laughing. <laughs> I know it's like, I feel like it, we're too young to have a husband, even though we're like 90. I know. I don't know why I always feel like that. <laughs> I feel like, too young. I always feel like that. I'm like, oh my God, I'm too young to yeah, have like a husband. I know. <laughs> That's for old people. It's like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I feel like before, I think I became really magnetic, not right before I met him, but a few months before where I had to say, I had to leave a relationship because it wasn't in my worth and I wasn't getting what I wanted and I wasn't getting what I deserved. And it was no fault of anyone's. It was just the wrong timing, but I could have stayed in that relationship and I could have chased the whole time and kind of always been a little bit uncertain on where I stand. And I could have done that. And sometimes it would have been great and sometimes it wouldn't have been, but I knew in my gut and I knew in my heart that that was way below what I am worthy of and it wasn't okay. And I had to walk away from that. And it was really, really tough because I didn't want to at all, but (laughs) I had to, I knew I had to. And once I did that, I felt like it was weird. I felt this release of relief feeling like, oh, thank God. Like I don't have to do this anymore. I don't, even though I cared about this person so much, but it was like, I don't have to do this anymore. And then after that, there were a few other guys that came in, but I just wasn't feeling it. And then about four or five months later, that was when Steve came in, which is my current partner. And I didn't even know anything about manifestation. I didn't create a list. I didn't do anything because I wasn't really familiar with with any of this work at that time. But he was in my worth. I actually remember this one thing that I was like, what is going on? I was sitting at drinks with my friends and I was talking about Steve and how excited I was. And I was like, oh my God, like we had the best date and blah, blah, blah. And then he called me and I was like, (laughs) what is going on? I have no, like, this must be an accident. I can't. And then I was like, I don't know. Should I answer the phone? What do I do? And then I (laughs) called you on the phone, like like on the actual phone. I was like, what? So I thought that it was an accident because no one before that had ever called, (laughs) especially in this day and age. (laughs) It would just be a text. So I answered the phone and he was just calling to just check, like, see how I was doing. <laughs> I was, like, I was, you're like, are you I okay? So, yeah, I'm like, is everything okay? <laughs> so it was just like, I guess, like, with this relationship, it just feels very easy and it just flows. It always just flowed. All right. So before we get into this conversation, 
What have you been into, Kat, this week? Is there a product, practice, thing you've been thinking about? I actually do have a product that I've had for a long time, not a long time, but a few months and I haven't used. It's the Blue Blocks Eye Mask. And my sleep is incredible because it completely blacks out the room and they're actually really comfortable. So sometimes I wake up at two or three in the morning and I haven't been with this. And I want to, when I can start flying again, I'm definitely going to (laughs) take this on planes. So yeah, the blue blocks eye mask and we'll link it in the show notes. So this week, it's not a product that I'm recommending or practice because I feel like I've been using a lot of my old standbys, a lot of the things I've been talking about. But I have recognized that I have been spending too much time on my phone, on social media. And so I made a promise to myself yesterday, actually. And it just makes me feel good about myself because I'm just like, all right, well, maybe I didn't get everything done today that I wanted, but like, this is tomorrow and I'm going to fucking crush it tomorrow. Yeah. So, but I'm like, literally the only thing that I do, because like, you know, we're working on a lot of things that we are the only person driving our timeline. So we need to stay focused. We need to stay motivated. And so, or we need to, you know, stay productive, whatever. And I love being productive. Like I'm a Capricorn. Like I need to show progress to myself. I need to be productive. I need to show something for my work, whatever. So I've been looking at social media more than I would like. So I have changed my kind of daily routine where I'm no longer keeping my phone near me. And I am only looking at Instagram for five minute check-ins two times a day. So I've done that today. Today was my first day. And honestly, like I just feel so much better. Even if I was looking at Instagram a couple times a day, more than that to like numb or to just kind of take a mind break. Now I'll read or I'll just sit. So that's my big thing for this week is think about all the things that you could be doing with your time. I mean, this is how I was feeling that you're not when you are just scrolling. And so I am making a conscious effort to no longer mindlessly scroll. I will have a couple check-ins. Of course, if we're doing anything on there, I'll do it. But I just noticed, and I was feeling bad about how much time I was wasting on there. I absolutely love that. I'm going to do that with you. So five minutes. Two five-minute check-ins with the exception of like, if we are posting something or creating something, then we do that obviously. Yeah, or like responding or something. Responding to DMs. Yeah. But like not looking, it's not scrolling on other people's Instagram. Like if we're working on it for ourselves, we can, but otherwise not scrolling. Yeah. I love that. And I want to do that too, because yesterday I was sitting in the kitchen. I got a little snack, which was actually ice cream, which wasn't ideal, but that's really good. Yeah. It was really good. (laughs) And so I was sitting there and I left my phone in the other room and I felt really uncomfortable sitting there because I was like, oh, should I go get my phone? I don't know. Like I could scroll while I'm eating this ice cream, but then I have to go back in. So I was just sitting there and I'm like, and then I just, I didn't go get my phone and I was sitting there and I was starting, I actually was thinking and all these creative thoughts were coming into my head. If I were sitting there looking at my phone, I would have been distracted and those ideas and thoughts wouldn't have come because it's just, then you're just consuming other people's content and you're not consuming your own content and your own thoughts. And we've almost lost that imaginary time with ourselves. Like if you're sitting on a train and you're just looking out the window and like looking at everything and thinking that is no longer. We're sitting on the train looking at our phone like this. So bad. You know what? That made me think of actually something else that is part of this practice that I actually did today. I went to the beach and I brought this as my entertainment instead of looking at my, I mean, I brought my phone, but I wasn't looking on it. So you just said we are consuming constantly. And sometimes like we do need something or it's helpful to have something. So instead of consuming pull those ideas out of yourself. So bring a journal and just like write so that you're not consuming. And But if you need something or you have time that you want like some other form of something, like 
do something that's the opposite of consuming. Is there a word that's the opposite of consuming? I don't know, but where it's pulling the creativity out of you. Yeah. So express, express it out and bring a journal Mm -hmm. so that you aren't taking anything new in. You're just pulling things out. Yeah. Because we don't realize how much we're consuming. And if it's negative content, what that does to us, even if it's, it's just, you just don't realize how much of an impact it's having. So I love this. I'm going to do that five minutes, two times a day. Yeah. All right. Let's get into this episode. So on this episode, we are talking to Amanda about how self-worth and manifestation are directly related and what you can do to call in what you want. So we just gave you a lot of examples on that. It's all about your self-worth, how to manifest a relationship, the watchouts, what it means when everything seems too good to be true, but then there's that one little thing that's a little off, why we often ignore red flags. Of course, we're talking about the different attachment styles how to move from anxious or avoidant attachment to secure, why we never have to settle. And we explore why this comes up for so many of us. Do not settle. Uh, One quick note on the episode. So Kat and I are both really into human design and we use it in our coaching work. Amanda mentions briefly in the episode that some of her gifts in reading patterns come from being a projector. So when she talks about that, she's talking about her energy type in human design. The projector is one that is sort of, we describe as like the little bird looking over everything, identifying when things are going in the right direction and and when they're not. So just wanted to give that note. We hope you guys enjoy this episode. Our intention, our mission with sharing this offering of this podcast with you is to help give you the tools to create the life that you want, whether that's in your career, in your relationship, in discovering your life purpose. And this is all part of it because there's so many different facets. Yeah. And thank you all for your amazing support and your feedback on the podcast. We're so happy that it's resonating with so many of you. And if you're enjoying it, then leave us a review or share it with a friend. It really helps us grow. Yeah. Thanks guys. Let's get into it. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. We're really excited to talk about manifestation, manifestation relationships, and getting into the different attachment styles as well. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you both. I'm always so surprised and honored when someone wants me to be on their podcast. So it's still like such a thrill and so cool. Yeah, I heard you on the Lacey Phillips podcast a while ago. And I actually just recently listened to it again. And it's so good. I know that you work closely with Lacey Phillips. And we do her manifestation work and reprogramming work as well. And with manifestation, we know that it's all tied to self-worth, whether it's related to finances, whether it's related to relationships, career. So we're wondering if you could just share your perspective on manifestation and how the energetics all work? Yeah. So basically whatever you subconsciously believe about yourself is essentially like what you're going to be manifesting in. So if you subconsciously believe about yourself that you aren't worthy of a relationship or the career or, you know, the amount of money you want to make or like getting a new house, whatever it is, um, then it will be harder for you to call those things in and you'll move through tests to kind of near to you and show you where and how you're still playing small and where your worth is. And then it's doing the work to either say no and pass those tests or then take the learning, which is, you know, learning whatever lesson you needed to learn to help you along your path and help you become more authentic. And as you move down that road, you step more into your worth. And as you step more into your worth, you can then start to call in things that are more in alignment with that. I loved learning about this process and the process that you use in Lacey's work because I had come into where I had first learned about manifestation a while ago in the context of the secret. And Mm -hmm. 
in some ways that was really expansive for me, just the idea that you could manifest things, but the idea and the kind of thinking behind that was all about, or is all about like, you have to believe you already have it in order to get something that you want. You have to do the affirmations. You have to, yeah, all about believing you already have it. And this work is different because like you said, it's about raising your subconscious self-worth because that's the place that we manifest from. But I think that, you know, there's still a lot out there in the context of like, believe it, vision boards, like all of these things. Like, how would you say that we can reconcile these two things? Like, is it helpful to have the vision? Is it helpful to affirm? How does all of that kind of reconcile from your perspective? Well, I think the main thing to take away is that your thoughts aren't powerful, but your subconscious beliefs are. So that's really where you want to focus. And that's what I love about this process is it just boils it down and makes it quite simple and and approachable, you know, for, for people that you don't have to do all these crazy things to call in what you want to be calling in and create the life you want. But what it's really asking you to do is sort of go inside and look and do the work on you and where you have been believing those limiting beliefs, where you've been believing those blocks, where you've been believing in those patterns that were taught to you as a child and doing the work to expand out of them. So if you're doing the you know energetic work and you want to do a vision board because you just think they're fun, awesome, do it. It's not going to help you manifest, but it doesn't mean you can't do it if you don't like it. You know, but it's not part of the manifestation process of really digging into the energetic work and into your subconscious belief. But if you like collaging, <laughs> you know, go go nuts. If you like crystals, cool. They're not going to help you manifest. But if you just believe, you know, that they're like a fun enhancement that you like to engage with, wonderful. You know, so all of that kind of stuff is just an enhancement, like enhancement tools, but you don't need them. You just really need yourself. Yeah, I found that incredibly freeing when I heard Lacey talking about that. Like you don't manifest through your thoughts. And because it was... Yeah, because it takes so much energy to change all, try to change all of your thoughts from negative to positive. And I just felt that that was so freeing. It's like, just use them as that guidepost. Don't necessarily be worried about what you're actually thinking. So I love that. Yeah, exactly. It it takes a lot of the pressure off, right? Because if mm-hmm. you feel like, oh, I have to, like, if I think about that or if I think something negatively, then, then that's going to prevent me from calling in this thing, it just keeps you in fear. Mm -hmm. And when you can start to tap into, okay, it's actually the subconscious belief that I need to be looking at and working with, that is a lot more empowering. So I know that in the work, there are a number of what are called reprogramming exercises, and those are kind of guided hypnosis. And that's all part of the program. Outside of that, what would you say are like the number one or two things people can do to operate in their worth, to raise their self-worth? They know. Hold boundaries. That is huge. That is so much of this work is holding boundaries for yourself, saying no, walking away from things that aren't fully aligned for you if you're able to do so, so that you can start calling in and creating space for the things that are. And if you're not able to, you know, for example, let's just take like something with career. If you're not able to walk away from a job that you don't feel like is in alignment with you at this time, how can you start saying like, step saying no in your personal life, stepping into boundaries in your personal life? And then how can you start creating a pathway forward for you to walk away from this job that isn't out of alignment for you? Mm-hmm. How did you get into doing all this work and in relationships and manifestation? Well, relationships, I have just always been someone who has the gift of seeing patterns. I think that comes from probably being a projector. So I have literally just always been the person that that people come to for relationship advice. Like my babysitters when I was a kid would talk to me about their relationship problems. And I would end up like being like, well, this is what I think. And I'm like seven years old. Uh, <laughs> you know, I've always done that for friends. It's just 
honestly, all I want to talk about is relationship dynamics and how people are showing up and what that means and how they feel. And that's just all I want to talk about. It's what I find the most interesting. Um, and in terms of manifestation, I found Lacey five years ago now, which is crazy. And I, a friend of mine was writing for her. And so I, you know, I was like, Oh, I want to check out what she's writing. And so I checked out Lacey's website. And at the time she was just doing holistic chefing. So I was just enamored with her. I was like, Oh my gosh, she was an expander before I knew what that was. And then she started releasing manifestation sessions. And I was one of the first people that she did them with. And I was like, manifestation session, what is that? You know, I was a yoga teacher. So I was like in that sort of wellness, spiritual world. Um, you know, I'd heard of The Secret, though I didn't practice it. I had read some manifestation books and had manifested some stuff, but like never really understood how to find sort of consistency inside of that, but was in super low self-work at the time. I was drinking and had that problem going on and just in like low self-worth with the job and yoga. So it was, I was just a whole big mess. And Lacey really helped me get out of that and helped me gain worth and helped me grow what I thought was possible for me and really helped me expand into what I'm doing now. And it was through, you know, all the work that we have out there in the workshops. It's just before you know, the workshops, it was just one-on-one work with her. And, um, through that, I knew when I was teaching yoga that I wanted to do some sort of like, I'm helping people, I'm reaching people and I'm communicating with them about them in some sort of way and, and helping them grow. I just wasn't sure really what, and I just like clues, like downloaded over a period of time. And I thought for a while that would be nutrition. And I then worked for nutritionist and realized like, that's not for me. And so I just kind of felt it and it was like relationships are like the thing. And I was doing my own reading and research and, you know, developing my own philosophy around that and finding attachment theory and what that means and sort of integrating that into what I knew from this work. And it was a really long and kind of just fell into place uh, practice after many years, five years. And when I really realized that I wanted to do it, I was just like, all right, I just got to put it out there and do it. And it just has grown over time. And then, you know, I was also mentoring under Lacey and, you know, she had kind of been like, maybe one day we can have you coach underneath the brand, but that was also a long time coming. That didn't happen right away. So I was mentoring with her for a while before that, before we even like came back around to that idea. And then that just sort of developed on its own as well. So it's been a really organic process. But yeah, that's kind of how I came to both. Love it. You mentioned the term expander. Can you explain for anyone who doesn't know what that term means? So expanders are people that we find in our life, whether we know them or we see them in movies or TV or, you know, on Instagram, read about them in a book that shows our mirror neurons that if they can do it, we can do it. Uh, so it shows us the possibility of what is out there that we didn't consider. So it literally like expands what we think is possible for ourselves. Um, and when you find an expander, that's how it feels. It feels like, fuck, if they can do that, I can do that too. Also, I swear a lot. So I apologize. That's fine. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> On the podcast. What is the process that you use or would recommend to somebody who is calling in a relationship or manifesting a relationship? Well, that's really going to depend on where they are and what they're sort of dealing with in a relationship. But um, my best advice for that, just like generally not knowing really any details for the person, is to have them list out the last five relationships they were in or situationships they were in or the last five dates they went on if they haven't been in a relationship. And what were the patterns that they can see? Like kind of detail all of those situations. Who said what? How did you feel? How did that person show up for you? How did you show up in that situation? How did you feel inside of it? And then pick out the patterns and become really clear about those because those are the things that you can look to to be like, oh, these are my limiting beliefs. These are my blocks, right? And you can kind of take those patterns and like boil them down. Where did I learn this? Where did this first pop up for me? Where does this kind of come from? And that can show you where initially you need to start doing some work around to grow your worth to, you know, where you need to find expanders. 
Okay, so that'll kind of show you where you can do the energetic work. And then also it's important to find the relationship standards. Like if you, for example, haven't been inside of a relationship before, it's really helpful for you to find people that are in a relationship that you yourself would want to be in and that you relate to the people inside of that. And they have some, you know, like one of them has a similar background so that you could see yourself being with, you know, that, that kind of partner. And you can see that that is possible for you. It's also really important to make sure that during that process, you're really paying attention to red flags, you know, through dating, uh, the dating process before you get into a relationship and you're saying no, and you're stepping into your boundaries and you're practicing communicating your needs and you're practicing listening when someone else is communicating their needs and what that sounds like and how you show up there. So it's really a lot of practice when you're looking to call in a relationship and really sort of walking the walk of being in your worth. What would you say to the person that is already in a relationship? They don't Mm -hmm. want or need to call in a new relationship, but they want to maybe manifest changes in their existing relationship, whatever that might look like, their partner doing something differently, a dynamic in the relationship being different. What would you say to that person? I would say, look at yourself first. So if you are looking to your partner being like, hmm, you're not doing X, Y, Z, turn that mirror around, honey, and look at what is going on for you. So for example, if you're in a relationship and you're like, my partner is not being affectionate enough. They're not showing me they care and love me enough. How are you not showing up for yourself in that way? How are you not showing yourself love and affection enough? And when you really start to look and dig into there and take that responsibility to do that work for you, that will a lot of the time shift things. It'll shift things in a couple of ways. It can shift things that suddenly you start showing up for yourself. So your partner is going to mirror you showing up for yourself by him or not gendering that by them showing up for you. Or you'll come into your worth and you'll be like, oh, this is not the partner for me and I got to go. Right. So it's, or, you know, it'll shift things enough that you can start communicating with them about the relationship and it can get you into steadier ground because now you're both communicating in ways that you haven't before. But the work is always look into the mirror and see what you can start doing. With just to be clear, like if you're in a harmful situation, please get out. Don't look at yourself. You don't need to change. You just need to look if someone is harming you or putting you in some sort of like abuse, emotional, whatever. Just get out. That's not you. Yeah. Um, but if it's just something like, oh, I want my partner to be more affectionate, look in. Mm-hmm. I love that. And it sounds so obvious and simple, but it's not the first place oh, yeah. that we go to. No, no. Yeah. And, you know, I think about that a lot in terms of like the vibrational match, like like attracts like. And when we do the things for ourselves or become what we want in another, it just like creates that stage for us to be able to have more of that. Makes so much sense. Yeah. When I started doing that, even Lacey's work and realizing that I just couldn't believe, not even in my relationship, but in all of my relationships, how the energy shifted and how everything got better because of the way that I was showing up. And like, even if I don't do some of the work for a couple of weeks, I noticed a difference. It's absolutely crazy. 100%. Because everything and everyone is a mirror, mm-hmm. right? So reflecting back what we think and feel about ourselves and that it's doing that to help us grow and get into our worth and become more and more authentic. So the when you really start to see that and utilize that, it makes relationships in some ways easier and then in other ways a lot harder because you're like, fuck, I have to take responsibility for that. And I don't yeah. want it. It's so much easier to blame you. You know, I do that when I don't when I meet someone and I'm just like, wow, I do not like them. Because they are <laughs> And then I'm like, all right, well, what are they reflecting back to you? In what ways are you showing up annoying in that way? Because that's why I'm getting aggravated by it, right? It's because they're hitting unintegrated part in myself that I can't accept and I can't find love for. So when I see it in them, it's like, ooh, and it ruffles my feathers. But that's just showing me like, find that part in you and start to like integrate and love that and bring that out of your shadow. And then that will disappear, right? You won't run into that again. So Mm -hmm. it is cool because it gives you a lot of empowerment, but it's also not fun to start looking in the mirror and looking at the things you don't want to look at at first, you know? Yeah. 
Definitely. It's really an incredible feeling. I mean, this is something I've kind of transitioned through is like when you go from being really annoyed by those triggers to being excited by them. Like now I'm like, oh, like just like you said, that resonated with me so much. I'm like, oh, that person is so annoying. I don't like them. I don't want to be around them. But now I'm like, oh, huh, interesting. Why do they trigger me so much? Why do I feel this emotion in reaction to them? Oh, interesting. That gives me something now that I can go look at in myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is a totally different way of looking at it. It's just like, you know, everyone's just kind of like giving you a little roadmap to be like, oh, okay, well, now I know where I can go do some work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And that's why this process is like never done. You know, mm-hmm. it's a lifelong yeah. thing. It's a lifelong process because we're all, it's this earth is a period of growth and yeah. that's what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great because you can take those specific things that trigger you and bring them through to the work. So through the daily reprogramming exercises for people who don't know, you can just literally take that and work on it. And it's so, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. I love all the tears. So shall we get into the attachment styles? Catherine and I are both really fascinated by this. Yes. Yeah. Shall we start? Can you kind of just give us an overview of like, what is attachment theory or attachment style and, and what are the different ones? Yes. So attachment theory is basically states that the way that we attach to our caregivers, we will then in adulthood attach to our uh, romantic partners the same way. So I'm going to talk about the three main attachment styles. There are four, which is a combination of anxious and avoidant, but that is a little bit more rare. So I'm just going to kind of go through the three most common ones, which we'll start with anxious. So anxious attachment is when we were kids and it starts six months to like seven, 14, that our parents were sometimes attuned to us, our needs, and sometimes not. Preface. A presence, the parent being there is very, very different from attunement, right? And it doesn't mean that you had bad parents if they weren't attuned to you. It just means they were going through their own stuff that they had not dealt with yet, which, you know, the generations before us didn't have the tools that we have now. So that was really common. So they weren't attuned to you, but sometimes they were. And that instability created this idea that love is that, right? That push pull that sometimes there, sometimes not. And so then people get that program in their brain, that pattern, that relationship model. And then that's what they go look for, which is the avoidant. So the avoidant is someone who their parents, their caregivers, their needs came before the child's. So the child had to shut down their needs because they were not being met at all in order to sort of lessen the blow of that for themselves, which is like, I don't have needs and I'll take care of them myself. And so love felt very engulfing. It felt very unsafe in that way. And so when they come into adulthood, into relationships, they keep everyone at a distance because they don't want to experience that same engulfment. They want like, I'm independent. I can do this myself, right? They like shut down their needs a lot because they learned to do that way back then. And then they get into the anxious avoidant trap, which is the anxious person is like, love me, love me, love me, love me. So then the avoidant person is like, and like runs away. And then the avoidant person will start to pull away. And then the avoidant person's like, or anxious person will start to pull away. And the avoidant person will be like, oh, hey, what's up? Like, you're cool now. Like, cool. I guess I was like, And then they just go back and forth and back and forth. And any, the minute I say this, anyone who's anxious is like, oh, yeah, been there. All my relationships know exactly what you're talking about. And then they're secure, which is someone who their parents, caregivers were attuned to their needs enough that the child could trust that they would be there to provide them with love and attention and their survival needs would be met. You know, they would be fed all the things. And so they grow up trusting love and connection and they trust their partners. They believe they're worthy of love. They, you know, love easily, trust easily because they are assuming that they're going to get that reflected back in their relationships because that's what they learned in childhood. Wow. A couple of those really resonated with me. (laughs) What about if you're going back and forth between... Because I feel like in some of my relationships, I was more of an anxious attachment and some of Mm -hmm. them I was avoidant. So So, do you go back and forth? No, it's just, it's not super black and white. 
So if you're an insecure attachment, which anxious and avoidant both are insecure attachments, and then secure attachment is a secure person, Mm -hmm. you're going to have traits of both. So if you're predominantly anxious, if you meet someone when you're sort of just fully in your attachment and you haven't done the work to get to insecure, when you meet someone who is either anxious or secure, typically when you meet someone secure, you're just going to be bored. You're going to be like, whatever, loser, bye. (laughs) And when you meet someone who's also anxious, you will then go avoid it. And you will pull away. You'll be like, God, you're so needy. And you'll do the same thing that has been done to you. So it's not uncommon for that to happen. Anxious people have avoidant tendencies. Avoidant people also have anxious tendencies. So the avoidant, though, who is predominantly avoidant, you'll know that because you're... And I find this most in women, but this can apply to men as well. They're like the cool girl, right? Even though they're feeling anxious inside and they're like, oh my God, like I just want this person to like me. They would never in a million years let that other person know, right? They're very much like, I'm, I'm cool. I don't have any needs. We're good here. We are cool. Yeah, you don't want to do that? Cool. I don't want to do that either. Whatever. And But they're still feeling like, Bleh. so inside they're like, I feel awful, but outwardly they're presenting that like cool facade. They're shutting down their needs. They're not communicating it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So it's not like you're just one or you're just the other. There's definitely, you know, the same thing boils down to is like this fear of rejection and abandonment. It just sort of shows up in these more nuanced ways. But Mm -hmm. your attachment means that you pull from whatever one, but you have like a more predominant one that you're like the main thing. Mm -hmm. How you show up. Are there attachment styles that tend to like attract one another? Anxious and avoidant, like moths to a flame. Story of my life. Before <laughs> I was all I was. Atta- I was all I was attracted, and all and you know my clients most of the time it's the anxious and the avoidant, moths to a flame because it's that push pull, right? Because what we're doing before we become aware and start doing this reprogramming work to heal, we are trying to recreate what we experienced in childhood so that we can get the resolution we didn't get then, right? But all we're doing is just re-traumatizing and reaffirming those limiting beliefs when we are going after those patterns. And it's also your brain chemistry that gets set up during those ages is like, ding, 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 this is love. This is the pattern. Woo! Right? So it's really, it feels like, no, but this is the thing. This is real. This time, it's real. And it's not. It's just the pattern repeating itself. Yeah. I think it's really interesting to think about like the difference between, if we're thinking about with the caregivers and how this all gets set up, the difference between presence and attunement, because I think that, you know, I've talked to a lot of friends and and people, and even I've thought this with myself as well, like my caregivers were there. Like, I do think they were attuned, but maybe not. But like, I feel like maybe I identify a little bit more with the anxious, although I don't know that I fit what maybe like textbook of what my caregivers would have looked like to make me that way. I guarantee you that if you identify as more anxious, your parents were sometimes attuned to you and sometimes not. It's the instability that creates that anxious attachment. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't mean your parents were like leaving you till, you know, 3 a.m. alone when you were like five. It just means when they were in your presence a lot of the time, they weren't able to shut out whatever was going on with them and just be like, what do you need? My needs are coming second to yours because you that's what you need right now for your survival and for your development, right? And then I'm also caring for my needs. So my needs are still being met, right? right. They, a lot of times parents didn't have those tools mm-hmm. and the ability to do that. Mm-hmm. Right? And that is okay. We're not saying parents are bad people or that, you know, they're the worst and like blame them. Not at all. They did the very best they could. But it's just, we do get to be honest about that reality so that we can go back and take responsibility now and be like, all right, well, I'm going to go heal that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I wonder, can attachment style be influenced from events or experiences after childhood as well? Like I had a relationship that was, you know, crazy and or whatever, and that influenced my attachment. No, not like a, like that, like severe trauma later in life can 
pull you into like, let's say if your secure attachment can pull you into an insecure attachment. And if you're an insecure attachment through doing work, you can move into a secure attachment. So it's not like you're stuck in one attachment for the rest of your life. However, if you're getting into relationships where it's toxic, things aren't healthy, that's your attachment style that you've had since you were a kid. You just haven't been aware enough of it. You haven't been honest enough with yourself about it. And that's super common. You know, like I hear that from clients all the time. They're like, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, false. Cause like, let me tell you all the things that are coming in. And this is why. Nope. Yeah. That's not, right. Yeah. But they just don't have that way of being honest with themselves yet. That's okay. We're all there. It's, you know, it's a process. It's not bad. Not, it's not a, something to judge yourself for. It's just sort of where you are inside of it. But yeah, if you're getting into like relationship and the guy's unavailable, that's not making you anxious. You were anxious before, honey. (laughs) I love this. I feel like I I just had a light bulb moment go off when you were talking about the different types because like I identify more with avoidant, which is interesting because Stefania identifies with the anxious. (laughs) We work together. Avoidant friends. Yeah. We basically are in a relationship, Kathy. Yeah, we are. All we're all relationships with everyone in our life. Exactly. But yeah, because when I was younger, my caregivers would, not all of them, but yeah, just the people around me would require me to help with their needs or, you know, my parents are going for it. Yeah. So I think I just completely picked Mm -hmm. that up and just have it. Some I can sometimes I and I knew this a little bit, but when you explained it, it was just like, whoa, that really is speaking to me. Yeah. Like it's just like I disown my needs some of the time, not all the time, but that's really interesting. Yeah, it is. It's fascinating uh, the yeah. way it goes up, and it's also fascinating when you you get the lens to look at this in this particular way, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's taking a little bit more ownership of like, oh, this is how I'm showing up. This is what I'm doing. This is how I'm calling that in. And that's not to say anyone deserves anything or they're doing something wrong and they're being punished. Not at all. Again, it's just for growth and for coming back to your authentic self and to show you where you can step more into your worth. And what are the steps to take to move into secure attachment? And can you be like, almost there, like you're kind of hanging around and voiding and sort of insecure. (laughs) So I feel like in my relationship, it's like, I would definitely identify more with avoidant, but I do think that there are some elements of secure and my partner is definitely, I think, in the more secure area. So I'm just wondering how you can kind of work on that and move through. Yeah. So for working towards earn secure, it's doing the reprogramming work first Mm -hmm. and foremost. Mm-hmm. So that you can start to really dig into these limiting beliefs that you hold about love and partnership. You need to become aware of those patternings. It's really hard to do it on your own. So I recommend anyone out there who is looking to do that to seek support. And I'm not saying that because I happen to be a coach that specializes in this area. But if you want a session, hit me up. <laughs> but you do need someone's help because you won't be able to see yourself clearly. Mm-hmm. That's you know you'll you'll be able to hide. You'll be like, oh, I'm I totally I'm totally showing up. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I even have this. One of my best friends is avoidant, and she has done a lot of work, and so she has gotten closer to earn secure, and she's in a really loving relationship. But I will call her out in all the ways that she's still showing up and being avoidant, and she's like, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. So it's like it, you just you do kind of need someone to hold you accountable, especially in the beginning of working towards it. But first and foremost, it's reprogramming. If you're anxious, it's going to be the saying no and stepping into boundaries and communicating your needs, which is going to be the scariest part of that for any anxious person, because they are so terrified of being labeled too needy, too demanding, you know, too whatever. And that if they are to speak up and assert what they need, then they will be left and they will be abandoned. And that you know, the thing that they believe about themselves to be unlovable will be true. And, you know, the world will explode. So all of those fears need to be faced so that you can really step into your adult self that has the tools to process that and to can handle sort of 
the processing of emotion and the way we, why we avoid it is because we're more in that inner child self that couldn't process all those intense emotions that we're experiencing in childhood and why all this stuff got started. And we kind of stay there, right? We stay in that inner child as we get older because we're not really reparenting that and, and handling the trauma we went through just to know trauma is any disruption that did not get a resolution. That's a lot of things besides the capital T traumas, right? So we don't ever heal from that. We don't get the resolution we need most often the time. So we stay in that inner child state, right? Which can't, couldn't handle the stuff. So we avoid these things. And when we start stepping into our adult self, then we can no longer avoid, we can face the things, right? And that's how we start gaining that confidence that we can process the emotion. And that helps us as we're doing that energetic work to then follow it up with action, which is, you know, how the universe really starts to communicate with us about like where we are in our worth. Well, so this is This Life Explains It All podcast. So the question that we always ask in closing to all of our guests is what life experience has been your greatest teacher? Mm, All my low self-worth behaviors in relationships (laughs) taught me the most. Because it really, I'm so grateful when I look back and there is some doozies of stories. Yeah. Low self-worth moments. Mm -hmm. But I'm so grateful for that girl that didn't love herself yet, that didn't think she was capable of anything, that settled for just the smallest crumbs um, in situation after situation, because it was through that girl that I was able to grow into the woman that I am today. And I'm so, so proud of the woman that I am today and the worth that I have and how much I love myself and how capable that I know that I am and the way that I show up in my life now and the way that I'm able to show up in relationships. So yeah, all of those really terrible (laughs) relationships um, were definitely my biggest teacher and definitely the reason why I do what I do. So without them, I wouldn't have a very fulfilling career that makes me feel like I'm in my purpose. And so I'm so deeply grateful for them. You mentioned in in what you were sharing, you know, the the girl who settled for crumbs is settling or I guess, what is the biggest theme or like the biggest, you know, set of examples that you see in your work of low self-worth behavior? Is it settling? Yeah, it's settling for behavior you don't want. It's settling for not being in a relationship when you want to be in a relationship and you're in sort of something in between, a situationship, friends with benefits, whatever. It's, um, you know, hanging out, settling for a partner you don't really like that much or, you know, feel that connected to, but you feel like if you don't, then you're not going to meet anyone and you're going to be alone forever. Yeah, settling is, is a big one. I just wanted oh. to ask that as a follow-up because when yeah. you shared when you shared it, it made me think about that because I think it's just very relevant and relatable. Yeah, it is. And a lot of people do it without really realizing. They're like, oh, well, this will be good enough. Or, you know, this person is everything on my list, but this one thing. So I'll go for it. And like people, if they are everything but one thing on the list, they ain't your list. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not that you don't have to fit yourself into that mold to get the thing that you want. That's settling for that's low self-worth. Yeah. And I think that that can be applied when you're in relationship as well with what you sure. shared earlier about looking at yourself. So if you're settling and saying like, oh, I don't, I'm not, you know, getting this one aspect of what I want out of my relationship, like want, want, poor me, I'm a victim. No, like you can actually turn that around by looking at yourself, doing that work and then going through that process that we talked about earlier. So it's applicable whether you're calling in a new relationship or whether you're wanting to take a look at some of the things that are not working for you in the relationship that you're in. Yeah. And I think something that I just want to communicate to people too is, and not that I'm like anti-marriage by any means, but marriage and being with someone forever isn't the end all be all. There isn't just one person for you out there. So if you happen to find someone and you do actually grow together and you're able to work through the issues and the ups and downs and stay in your authenticity and all the things like, awesome, great. But if that doesn't happen for you and you instead have 
you know, a couple of long-term relationships, that's just as successful and beautiful. Uh, so mm-hmm. don't judge yourself. Don't think that there's just this one road. Pay attention to what you really need and what's really good for you. You know, if you need to, if a relationship isn't, no matter all the work you're doing, you're growing and you're evolving. If it's not growing with you, you know, and that person isn't willing to, it is okay to to walk away from that. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I felt like that since I was a child, actually. I feel like it puts so much pressure on everyone to be like, you have to find this one and you have to settle down and you have to do this. And it's Mm -hmm. not, I don't think it's realistic. I think it's more relationships are there to help you grow and they can ebb and they can flow and there can be new people that could be the same person. But to send that message to every single person is just, there's so much pressure to do that. It puts you on a timeline. Yeah, exactly. Timeline is so unrealistic. Like you're supposed to in your 20s when your frontal lobe isn't even fully formed until 25, meet your soulmate in quotes, and then get married and have babies before you're 30 and buy a house and already have your career figured out. And then your kids are growing up and then you're supposed to retire when you're 60 and then boom, done. Like what? (laughs) Like, I mean, if that's what you want, great. But if that's not what you want, which for me, I was, I realized I was very young. I was like, that's not what I want. And I had to struggle a lot with I want to create my own path and I want to do things differently and feeling less than valuable because I wasn't following the traditional path. Mm -hmm. That's okay. That's good. Great. Celebrate Mm -hmm. that, you know, celebrate what it is you want and you can have that, Mm -hmm. but, you know, allow yourself to develop in your own time. There isn't a timeline. You know, I was listening to a podcast with Norma, I forget her last name, Kamali, Kali, I forget her last name. Norma Kamali, fashion designer. Yeah. She's amazing. Um, she's an expander for how to approach aging, but she didn't meet her, like the love that she had been looking for until she was 65. Like we think now you're 65, you're over the hill, you're done. You're close to death. You're in retirement. You're out to pasture. Who cares about you? And that puts this pressure on under 60 to like get everything in and fit it in. And if you don't, then like your life is wasted, but it's not true. Like if you're lucky enough to age, life can be long and you get to experience many different avenues and journeys and, you know, growth and like celebrate all of that. That's beautiful. Don't put yourself on some unimportant timeline that just is made up. It's just made up folks. Someone made it up and someone made us all believe it. It's fucking made up. Don't believe it. Yeah. So, so much power comes from recognizing that. I think about that all the time, even in the context of work and career, like it is never too late to restart your career, start a business. Like you can be 70 years old and start a business, start a new career. Like I'm obsessed with the blue zones. I talk about them a lot. And do you know what the blue zones are? I the blue zones are that I feel like you would, you would enjoy this. Um, if you want to look more into it, I'll send you some links and Thank some you. other podcast, but essentially there are five areas in the world where there is the highest or the longest life expectancy and the highest quality of life. And there is a lot of similarities in these areas, but one of the similarities in all of the blue zones is that there's no separation between working life and retired life. So there's no concept of like, I work until a certain age and then I'm like retired. They always have a purpose. They're continuing to work. I don't believe in that. I think when you do that, you're, you are giving up. You're like, all right, well, I'm just going to like daughter around now. I'm like, what? What? I always want to do something that I feel passionate about. I don't want to be like, you know, laying out asphalt or something. <laughs> you know, because yeah. like, my body probably won't be able to handle it. But I do want to do something that I'm continuously passionate about until the day that I no longer am taking breaths. Yeah. Because that's what wakes me up in the morning and makes me feel excited for the day and, you know, gives me that purpose. And I always want that. Like, and I, I think everyone deserves that. I don't care how old you are. If you're 85, like what purpose, like what drives you in the morning? You know, and it might yeah. be different. what was it 30? That's okay. But like, then pursue that. You're still a worthwhile human. If you are over the age of 25, you know, like we value you so much. 
Mm-hmm. And there's so much more to life. I also think like for me, I didn't really figure out what I wanted to do and start doing it until I was 32. Mm-hmm. And I felt really ashamed about that for a while. And then, and now I'm like, fuck it, who cares? I'm on my own path, you know? And you know, I would get really triggered when I would see all the wonder kids, you know, they're like 27 and they've like created three companies and they've like sold them and they're millionaires. And I was like, whoa, like, whoa, I have not done anything, <laughs> but that's not my path. And like, good for them, not for me, you know, like celebrate myself, celebrate my journey and really focus and keep those blinders on so that I don't miss what's in front of me. You miss it when you compare. Oh yeah. And I think that we can apply that both to work and career and we can also apply it in our relationships. Like you're, it's never too late. You're never too old. Like we need to get away from this idea that like there are these like time boxes or, you know, milestones and then you go to the next one. Because I think that like, it's the same thing. It's like the same idea or the same kind of theory as is applied to like, we don't want to like live for the weekend or live for retirement. Like, oh, just until I do this, then I'll like be done. Then I can relax. Like let's live our lives in a way where we're not waiting to reach the milestone so that finally we can take a breath. Like let's live a life where we can take a breath every day. Then you won't enjoy it when you're actually getting those things and doing those things because you'll be like, the next thing I need to get the next thing I need to do the next thing. And so your satisfaction and your happiness and your fulfillment is always outside of you. You have to pull that in. You know, we were kind of talking about that earlier, but same rules apply. I actually was, I had a conversation with a dude not that long ago and he was asking me, I'm 35. And so he was asking me about children and I was like, yeah, I definitely want them. Not right now though. Like it's still a couple of years off for me. And he was like, oh, well, you better get on it because your eggs are getting old and you know, they're dying. And I was like, I reject everything you just said. You will not scare me or my ovaries into thinking I need to have a kid right now. Like, is that how it's traditionally done that people have kids younger and that that is how our biology works traditionally? Yes. But do I believe that I can have a kid, you know, at 38, 39, 40? Yes. Do I believe that might be harder? Yes. If I can't actually have a child on my own, will I adopt? Yes. So do I need to worry about it? No. I'm still not going to let it make me fearful of if I don't have a kid right now, then I'm not going to have children. So I need to settle so that I can get this done. Like it's not something I'm checking off. You know, it's not a box. Mm-hmm. Something that I deeply want to experience and I trust deeply that I will. Like yeah. I believe that we have our babies in our aura and I feel I have two boys around me and I talk to them all the time. Like I have names for them. That sounds really woo-woo and crazy, but I did. And they like, we, I, I feel them. So I know that they're there and I know I will experience them and I'm open to whatever traditional or non-traditional ways I experienced that motherhood. I'm still not going to let it make me fearful because when we're in fear and desperation, that's when we make choices in low self-worth and we settle. And I'm just not willing to do that. I totally agree with what you just said. And I just feel like it, there's not a one size fits all for everyone, whether right. it's your career, whether it's your having children. So, And like with the, you know, that the children debate, I have a lot of friends that are my age who are freezing their eggs And that's the route they want to go down. And I celebrate that. I'm like, amazing. Good for you. If that's what you want and you feel empowered by, that isn't the route that I want to go down. I don't feel empowered by that. So I'm not going to go down that route. But that's also okay. You know, that doesn't mean I'm like sealing my fate to not have children. I just don't believe that. And it's like, you know, it might come to to be where that won't happen for me. Okay, I'll go to adoption. Like that works. So I think you have to find whatever works for you and really celebrate that. Yeah. And, and just keep your blinders on. So you're really staying focused on your path and, and what that looks like. Yeah. I think like one big theme and like one big like lesson that's so underscored in this whole conversation is like, do not settle in any area of your life. You do not have to settle. There is always, you know, what you want, what is meant for you. And that is what I leave this conversation with. Good. Yeah. You do not have to settle. Yeah. (laughs) But my friend said it once really eloquently. She was like, 
you know, when you are, you're starving, you're starving. And so you sit down at a table and it's like a beautifully laid out table with like place settings and candles and all the things. And what's on your plate is saltine crackers and like not even a full saltine cracker, but like crumbs of a saltine cracker. And you're, you're really hungry, right? And you want a meal. You want something that's going to nourish you and, and really satiate you. But there's such temptation to be like, well, I'll just eat this now. And that's settling, right? I'll just eat this now. Wait for that meal that is going to you so that you can actually be full. Love it. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for this conversation. If someone wants to work with you directly, what's the best way for them to find you? How can they do that? You can find me at Blair is my Instagram. And then also on To Be Magnetic, if you go to one-on-one coaching, you'll see my coaching page and you can sign up directly from that website. Perfect. And we will link all of that in the show notes too. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review or share it with a friend. And hit subscribe so you never miss a show.